is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we're going to get into Q&A because we've had an accumulation of really good questions over the last little bit. And guys, I just noticed I haven't done a Q&A episode since before baby James was born, right? So it has been a long time, but we've given you guys a lot of good content, a lot of good interviews. So you shouldn't be too disappointed, but yes, we are going to get to your questions and we're going to get to that here in just a second. But before I do that, I've got to give a shout out to an entire city in the United States of America. And that city is Columbus, Ohio. So why am I shouting out Columbus, Ohio? Because I looked at my analytics for the podcast the other day, and I don't really, just to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time looking at those analytics because, you know, affected, like I look at the numbers, like total listens and certain episodes and things like that, but I don't dig into like, you know, how often are people, you know, stopping this podcast earlier, you know, what country is listening? Like, I don't pay attention to that that often, but I was looking at my analytics the other day and the city of Columbus, Ohio was basically three Xing the number of listeners I have, even in my own hometown or not hometown, but the town I live in now, Edmond, Oklahoma right? Because there's a lot of guys here that know me, a lot of local people that like to support the podcast, support the ministry. And there are three times as many listeners in Columbus, Ohio, as even in my home hometown, which come on guys, can I get some home field advantage at some point here? But I just got to shout out you guys. So for those of you guys listening in Columbus, Ohio, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I said. I don't know what happened to get you guys this interested in the content or, or kind of what's going on there. But Hey, that was pretty awesome to see because I've never been to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, again, n- nothing's going to change in terms of the type of content that I put out there based on where it's being absorbed. Uh, Cause we do get a lot of international listeners to this podcast as well. But Hey, for you guys out in Columbus, Ohio, would love to chat with you. Like if there's any anything you're doing specifically with my content, I'd always like to hear from you. So hit me up via, uh, via email. So that's info at undaunted.life, I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. And so we're going to go ahead and get into the questions here. And so for some of you guys, you might be wondering, well, how do I get my question answered on the podcast? Well, you can submit questions to me however you decide, right? Most people submit questions via email. So again, info at undaunted.life, or you can just find us on Instagram. Uh, that's one great way. You can just respond to one of our posts or you can send me a DM or something like that. I'm typically pretty good about seeing those. I'm not as good about checking the Facebook and Twitter stuff. So if that's uh, what you use normally and I'm not responding to your message, it's not because I'm ignoring you. I pretty much respond immediately. But with that said, let's go ahead and launch in with our questions for today. First question here. What do you think of the ACB confirmation hearings so far? Okay, so that is obviously uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who is a judge who's going to be likely nominated, or she's already been nominated, but likely confirmed by the United States Senate to become the next justice on the Supreme Court. Um, And just to be honest, you know, I haven't really reviewed these questions much before this podcast. I'm probably just going to save most of my opinions about these confirmation hearings until next week. So I've got some things that I'm going to do special for the election coming up, but also I'm assuming that Democrats are going to try probably pull out a lot of different things. I'm recording this the day before it's released. So as of right now, there's been some faux outrage about, you know, some word choices she's made. Uh, You know, she kind of had a a really cool thing where she held up a blank notepad at one point, Uh, but really it's pretty straightforward. Uh, They're finding very few things they could pin on this woman, but I'll give you my full rundown of that in next week's episode. How about that? I'll dedicate to doing that next week unless something crazy happens. Next question here. How does the politicized platform being represented uh, represented by professional sports impact the future of those organizations? Um, th- that's actually a really good question um, because you saw a lot of pandering whenever sports came back, uh, even post COVID, um, you know, por- post the killing of George Floyd. Um, the The most notable answer or the most notable organization that has really gone full bore 
with the politicized platform is the NBA, obviously. I mean, Major League Baseball kind of did something where they had all the players hold this big black uh, piece of fabric before a game, whatever that was supposed to represent. You know, the first week of the season during opening weekend, uh, they were allowing, you know, these little bitty patches that said Black Lives Matter on the people's jerseys and okay, whatever. But the NBA has gone full bore on this, full bore on it, right? So they're doing the NBA bubble, which was very successful in terms of COVID or whatever. And then they allowed the players to put whatever message socialized or, you know, politicized message on their jersey. Now, obviously, they had to be approved. So you couldn't, you know, put like uh, stop murdering babies, you know, on your jersey or something like that. But you could put Black Lives Matter or, you know, don't suppress our vote or hear our voice or, or whatever, you know, trope that, that they wanted to say. But then they, pl- they printed Black Lives Matter on the court, directly on the court for the bubble. And here's the deal is, of course, everyone agrees with that sentence, but it's not a sentence. It's a movement. It is a Marxist movement. It is an organization. If you want me to, you know, bloviate more on that, guess what, guys? I got a five-part series called Race in America, really focus on those first three episodes. I kind of walk through all of that. But the thing with the NBA is they're not getting any ratings. Their ratings have been abysmal, right? So you've got your biggest star, right? You know, you got LeBron James. He's in the NBA Finals. And almost every single game of the NBA Finals set some new record low, whether it was a record low for finals, you know, uh, you know, for people watching the finals, it was a record low or the next game, it was like, okay, a record low for a game three or a record low for an elimination game. Everything's been a record low for, in terms of the ratings. And some people are, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, it's because of cord cutting. There's a lot of cord cutting going on right now. And, and, you know, they're, they're competing directly against MLB playoffs and and football games and things like that. And so, you know, it's just kind of tough, but, but guys like a week two, week three, week four football game, that's not competing with the NBA playoffs. And even in baseball, like I'm a baseball guy to the nth degree, but you know, NLCS games, ALCS games, even the world series here, uh, starting here, probably uh, a week, week and a half from now, like the, those aren't going to compete with NBA finals games. Like, like that, that's just not really what, what the ratings would tell us and what the statistics would tell us. So I think to, to get back to your question, these politicized platforms don't bode well for the future of these, these sports organizations, if they continue to go down this road. Because it's a losing proposition because you're alienating at least half of your the populace that watches what you're trying to put out there for everyone, right? And so you've already seen Adam Silver. He's the commissioner of the National Basketball Association. He came out and he said, yeah, next year uh, we're likely not going to allow uh, on-court expressions of political views, right? So they're not going to come in here to Oklahoma City and you know paint Black Lives Matter on the court. They're not going to let everybody choose a different name for their jersey based on their favorite communist manifesto quote or something like that. But at the same point, This is an obvious reason why they're doing that, because let's say the ratings were record ratings for the NBA playoffs, right? Even without the crowd, without all those things, record ratings. Do you think they would take their foot off of the politicized gas next year? No, they would probably go ahead and like demand that every person put some sort of a left wing biased opinion on their jerseys. Wouldn't even give them the option because if they feel like more people are going to be supporting their points of view, then why would they stop? And so, you know, Major League Baseball pretty quickly dropped all the politicized stuff, but then it's going to keep coming up. It it just will. You know, people are going to kneel for the national anthem. People are still doing that before the first NFL game. They played whatever the black national anthem is, which is not a real thing. There's no such thing. There is only the national anthem. But at the same time, most of these sports organizations, they're only thinking about money. And right now it is expedient uh, politically and financially for them to just pander to people. Unless you're the NBA. 
And uh, like, again, I haven't watched an NBA game since all this, you know, since the bubble came back and since they were basically trying to shove leftist propaganda down my throat while I'm just trying to watch a basketball game. Right. And I'm an NBA fan. Right. I I would have loved to watch a lot of the Thunder games and the playoffs and all the different things. But it's just like whenever I'm watching sports, I'm watching sports. I'm not watching a political debate. I'm not watching, you know, college professors that are, you know, going back and forth about these large topics. That's not what I'm watching. I'm watching sports. I want the team in red to put the ball in the basket more than the team in blue or vice versa or whatever the situation is there. So again, it's going to hurt them in the long run because you will always have a significant segment of the population that's not down to be lectured to while they're just trying to be entertained. Okay. Next question here. Do COVID shortened championships count? Okay, I, I guess the, the question is, uh, you know, if you've got a season that is COVID shortened and there's a champion that season, does that count? Okay, that, that, that makes more sense. Uh, I, I hope that's what you were asking. Um, in my opinion, it, it's yes and no. And I almost never answer things yes and no. Because here's the thing. Let's just, since we're already talking about the NBA, uh, you know, there were no road games, right? You know, I just watched uh, ALCS and NLCS baseball yesterday. There's no road games. These people are playing in neutral sites, right? Like, so these feel more like tournaments, right? You know, if you, if you grew up playing AAU ball for basketball or traveling baseball, that, that's a tournament. You all go to the same location, you play different teams, and there's one team that comes out above the rest of them, right? But they'll count in the record books. So the St. Louis Cardinals, if they had won the World Series, even though their team was kind of crappy, even though they made the playoffs, they kind of screwed the pooch when they played San Diego. But even if they had won their championship this year, that would be their 12th championship. Like when you look back historically, you will count it as a championship. Now you might put an asterisk by it, right? So it's kind of like people that, yeah, of course, Barry Bonds has more home runs than Hank Aaron, but Hank Aaron is the home run King, obviously, because he didn't cheat. Um, It's one of those types of things. So in my opinion, they will count, but they can't count the same. They, they, They just can't count the same as a championship. Like, let's just look at baseball. You're telling me you played for two months. And then you did kind of this weird wild cardy thing where it's like these three game series. Then you did the DS to CS in the world series. And that's the same as a 162 game season. And then the playoffs, I I just don't buy it, but it'll count for these people. So they'll put it up on banners. It'll be in the rafters. So who actually cares? Next question here with LeBron James. Okay. Well, we're just staying with the NBA. I guess with LeBron James just recently winning his fourth title, is he now the goat? Okay. So whoever put this uh, one in there, thanks for trying to make my head explode. So let me give you my answer and then we'll kind of back it up. So I don't have all the statistical data to back it up, but is he now the goat? No, he is not the greatest basketball player of all time. There is still one man on that perch and that is Michael Jordan. Okay. So let's, let's back up a little bit. So I thought it was kind of crazy. Uh, I think uh, Ryan Russillo, I think is how you say his name, uh, the ESPN guy or used to be on ESPN radio or whatever. He said after LeBron James and the Lakers made it to the NBA finals. So they won the Western Conference finals against the hapless Denver Nuggets. They, he said at that point, okay, now it's time to really start thinking about considering LeBron the GOAT. Just for making it to the finals. He hadn't even won it yet. But let's just talk about this championship. Let's talk about the fact that it was a bubble season. He got five and a half months off right in the middle of all this. So we're just talking about this one championship right here. LeBron James on his handcrafted team, they go through and maybe have the easiest path to a championship out of all the championships between him and Jordan. We'll just say between him and Jordan. They beat an under 500 Portland team. They played the Houston Rockets in the second round, which was probably the best team that they played, right? And they beat them. So that was impressive. 
Then they avoid the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, right? And I'm getting all this. I didn't watch these games, but I just can't stop getting, you know, notifications on my phone or people text me about it. So I know that they beat uh, the Denver Nuggets instead of the Clippers. The Clippers were built to beat them, but apparently not built to beat the Nuggets. They, they, you know, blew a 3-1 lead, I think. And then they go to the NBA Finals and they're not playing the Milwaukee Bucks, which was the consensus best team in the Eastern Conference. They were playing the Miami Heat that has one player that you've ever heard of and was a 75 to one chance of winning an NBA championship preseason. So let's not look at this as if this is some sort of great accomplishment. The fact that they lost two games to the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals is atrocious considering the two teams. They literally let Jimmy Butler win two games on top of them. So that's that championship. But when you look at Michael Jordan, six NBA Finals appearances, six wins, and six MVPs. He takes two years off in between those two and goes and plays a different sport, changes his body, plays a different sport, comes back and wins another three-peat. So when people get into this GOAT discussion now, there's kind of this dichotomy between people that are above the age of 30 that got to actually watch Michael Jordan play and people that are below the age of 30 didn't really get to see him play and they've just grown up with LeBron. And a lot of the arguments that you're getting is, well, LeBron, you know, he's got all these, he's, these stats, you know, he's, he does this better, this stats better than Jordan and this stats better than Jordan. And he's going to have more wins. He's going to have more this. And, you know, he's made it to this many finals in a row and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I get that. But we're not talking about the most statistically significant basketball player of all time. We're talking about the greatest of all time. Greatness. And there are a lot of things with greatness that you have to take into account. Certainly winning. You got to have the results. Certainly the counting stats and, you know, MVPs and those, those things that you can count and compare and all-star games and all those things, dunk contests, all those things. But then it's also attitude. Like the greatest of all time. Do you have this attitude that you're just going to get the job done? And you can't even compare the attitude and the way of operating between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. I've seen LeBron James crumble and cry and, and literally quit. His last season in Cleveland, the first time around when they were playing the Boston Celtics in the playoffs, he literally quit on the Cleveland Cavaliers. You might be like, well, he didn't have help and he didn't have the, maybe, but he quit. Michael Jordan didn't quit. When, when Scottie Pippen went out of games because he was quote unquote hurt or when he didn't really have the help or whatever, he didn't quit. He was going to put the entire team on his back. And when there was a last second shot, he wasn't hiding from the ball. Yeah, you saw, I think it was against uh, the Denver Nuggets in game two of the Western Conference Finals this year. He hid from the ball. AD ended up getting the ball and, and making a ridiculous shot to win the game to put him up 2-0, right? Basically, you know, clinched the series right there from the beginning in game two. You would never see Michael Jordan hide from the ball. He's not going to be a decoy, right? And so these people that are looking at LeBron James, here's the other thing. The guy, what is he, four and six in the finals now? But you, you got to remember like the four that he won. So there's the one that I already talked about, the bubble season, which is, you know, it's legitimate and not legitimate all at the same time. Uh, the first NBA uh, final that he won against the, uh, against the Thunder, that was a strike shortened season. And so that was a little bit of an odd thing. But yes, they won the NBA finals in five games. So decently impressive, whatever. The next championship that he won, uh, he stunk it up so bad in game six against the, uh, the, the San Antonio Spurs. And he clinked a three-pointer, a go-ahead three or a tying three-pointer, clinked it right off the back of the iron. And if, there, if not for a Chris Bosh rebound and for a Ray Allen three-pointer, he loses that finals, right? He loses his second finals with the Heat. 
And then you got his championship against Golden State, which can't take anything away from him there. That's very impressive. However, the clinching shot in that game was not hit by LeBron James. It was hit by Kyrie Irving. And so when you look at these Bulls championships and you look at a lot of things that they're doing, there weren't games where Michael Jordan just flat out disappeared. Yeah, there, there were games where, you know, the clinching shot was hit by somebody else, you know, Paxson or, or something like that. But he, he wasn't hiding from the ball. He didn't have five minutes of terrible basketball leading up to that moment. And so, yes, I see the argument of, well, he made it to the NBA Finals this many times in a row and blah, blah, blah. But do we remember how paltry the Eastern Conference of the NBA has, has been historically? I mean, during LeBron James's tenure, there were really not other good teams in the East. There might have been one, maybe two. When the Western Conference, you had teams that would be, you know, in the top three in the Eastern Conference that didn't even make the playoffs in the Western Conference, right? And so, again, I don't want to belabor the point. I feel like I've already been talking about it. But in my mind, there's even if LeBron ran off two more championships off of this one, okay, he's six and six in the NBA Finals. He's batting 500. How in the world, on what planet is that better than Michael Jordan? And here's one last thing I will say on this. So all these people that are doing the counting stats, right? Oh, he has more points than Jordan. He has more this. He has more that. Michael Jordan played three years of college ball. LeBron James was in the NBA at 18 because he could be, right? The rules are way different back then. And when Michael Jordan was playing college ball, there wasn't even a three-pointer yet. So a lot of these, you know, three-point games that have been developed in modern basketball, a lot of these stats, a lot of the things that you focus on, that wasn't really part of the, of the game back then. And it's not even that long ago. But again, these people are looking at these stats like, oh, he's statistically more impressive. And that might be the case, but he's not greater. He just isn't greater. So enough, enough of this nonsense. It's ridiculous. Michael Jordan is the GOAT. Next question here. What is slash was the golden age of manhood. Hmm. Okay. That's a really good question. Uh, what is the golden age of manhood? Um, you know, I, I guess I'll just go with the first thing that came to mind. The first thing that came to mind was world war two era. I mean, it's kind of hard to go against those people, the greatest generation, right? As they aptly name themselves. Um, but in, in terms of things that I've seen in modernity, that, that seems to be the one because you had the dedication to country, but also the dedication to push back evil across the world was unparalleled. Uh, I mean, you got farm boys from, from Iowa that are just going and they're just volunteering, right? They're not being drafted. They're just volunteering like, no, I'm going to go push back tyranny, right? Or, or, or no, I'm going to go defend this country or I'm going to go defeat communism. Like, that's pretty amazing. I mean, and millions of men died on our side and on all sides during that time period. I can't really think of a worse time in human history than what we saw in the, the early part of the 20th century. Um, so I would say that you had these guys that really stood up and did things that you couldn't even imagine today. Can you imagine millions of Americans today, millions of American men putting down their lives uh, you know, just for the sake of something else, a greater ideal, whether they're anti-communism or, or anti this or anti that, like, I can't really see that. So if I were to, if I were just answer it outright, just off the top of my head, golden age of manhood would have been a uh, world war two era. All right. Next question here. There has been a significant rise in depression and suicides during this time of isolation. What can we do to spread hope in a time of hopelessness for many people? Well, yeah, obviously the, these COVID lockdowns and 
a lot of the things that have been perpetrated by uh, people in government to really tamp down people's ability to create a living, uh, the you know lockdowns, not being able to go to work, those types of things, it's created so many other issues. And depression and suicide are just two of them. You know, spousal abuse, substance abuse, child abuse, like all these things are skyrocketing, absolutely skyrocketing. Uh, in terms of how we could spread hope in a time of hopelessness for many. I think it's important for all of us to recognize the times in our life where we can make a literal difference, right? So this is going to seem a little self-helpy book, whatever type of thing, but just think about you. So if you think about all of the sad people in nursing homes right now, it's overwhelming. It's too overwhelming. There are literally millions of Americans that have not been able to see their families, millions of elderly people across the globe, actually, that have not been able to see their families. A lot of them have died alone, which is absolutely horrific. They can't even die with people that they know by their side. It's these nurses that come in looking, you know, wearing hazmat suits, essentially, um, and all just basically to, to play a political game, it seems like. But the thing that you can do is you can help in your personal community. So let's just stay on, on the theme of elderly people, maybe in old folks' homes. There are things that you can do to brighten their days, right? You, you can't walk in and open the doors and let their families come in, but you can write letters. You can make phone calls. You can talk to these people. They don't have to be lonely because even someone like my mother-in-law, something that she does is she actually goes to her local nursing home and just sits and talks with people, right? Because that's what these people want. You know, their families just kind of stuck them in there, you know, just kind of waiting for them to die. Hopefully they don't drain the bank account before then, but they just want to be, be talked to, right? Not by a nurse, not by somebody that's being paid, just someone that's honestly interested in them. So that's something that you can do there. But also, you know, kind of coming out of that realm, just look around. Look around at the people that are around you that might be hurting. And if you're more well off financially and you know someone is hurting financially, uh, try to hop in and help them. So I, I had a buddy here recently that in, in all this COVID pandemic thing, he works for an oil, oil and gas company and he got laid off. And you know, a lot of people sent him messages like, oh man, that sucks. Uh, I'm so sad for you. Let me know if I can do anything, which is hyper nonspecific and no one ever responds to that. But I called him and I said, Hey, I'm very connected with a lot of people in this area. I'm, I'm basically one degree of separation from just about anybody in this town. Seemingly, let me know how I can help you. Also, can I, can I help? Can we help pay your mortgage? Like you have, he has three kids. It's like, can we help buy food? Is there anything that you need? And I know this guy has a big support system. I know his wife has a big support system in this town, but that's, that's the type of thing that you need in that moment. And so this guy was kind of extenuating circumstances, but a lot of guys have lost their jobs. You know, a lot of families are suffering. And if you're not suffering, hop in and help, man. Even if it's like, uh, you notice that the next door neighbor, you know, he, he's gone a lot, uh, you know, cause he's trying to make things work. He's trying to make ends meet. And then, you know, the grass is getting a little bit uh, too high in their yard. Just hop over there and mow it for him. That's not embarrassing to that guy. And if he comes over and says, Hey man, I don't want you doing that. Let me pay you money. He's like, no brother. Like you were just being a neighbor. So that's what I would say. That's how you spread hope to people because there's, there's a lot of people that are losing their ability to read emotions, losing their ability to connect with people because we're communicating with these masks on. We can't even see each other's facial expressions anymore, but that's how you convey hope to people. Hey man, th this will be over at some point, but in the meantime, while it's, while you're right in the thick of it, let me help you. So that's how I would answer that. Next question here. My community just extended the mask mandate into January. What does this say about what the future looks like due to COVID-19? So uh, it looks like we're going to have a run of COVID questions here. Um, yeah, here, here's the thing. I've never met a politician that didn't want more power and control. And that's on both sides of the aisle. And all you libertarians out there that just heard me say that, you're like, but wait, wait, my libertarian guy. It's like, uh, okay. 
yeah, win a major election and then maybe we'll actually pay attention to the libertarians as an actual quote unquote party. But in the meantime, the mass mandates are being extended and they don't know why. That's the interesting thing. When these people extend a mass mandate and they're like, oh, well, we're going to do mass mandate through the end of October, but let's go ahead and make it uh, into January. They're not citing any evidence. There's actually, and again, I, I don't know all the science behind this poll because I have, I've not read the data clearly, but I've just heard this in the last couple of days. But the CDC did a, uh, a, a, a study of people that had gotten COVID and what their mask mandates were in their communities prior to them getting COVID, what their normalities were in terms of what they did with masks. And what they found was that 85% of people that got COVID in this study were either mask wearers almost always or mask wearers most of the time. 85%. I mean, then you got, you know, even politicians like Ralph Northam, you know, the, the guy who dressed up as either the KKK guy or was in blackface. That guy, also the guy that thinks that we should be able to kill babies even after they're outside the womb. Yeah. That guy, uh, the governor of Virginia, he got COVID and this guy loved showing people how much he wore his mask. Right. And so here's the thing at the end of the day, I walked into a business yesterday to buy some food and they had a mask mandate on the window. And so me as a consumer, I get a choice. I'm either going to defy that, walk in and risk them telling me to leave, which they are well within their rights to do. Or I put on the mask, go in and buy my food and move on with my day. Or I decide not today, Satan, and I'm going to go off and do something else. Find a store that doesn't have a mask mandate. All those things are up to you. It it literally, as of right now, is still a free country. And so in terms of what it says about the future of COVID-19, Like I've said multiple times, if Joe Biden ends up winning the presidency, which, you know, seems likely at this point, if he ends up winning the presidency, it's going to be amazing what the COVID-19 coverage, you know, turns into. Because right now it's a terrible sticking point for Donald Trump. It's an easy punching bag for Joe Biden and his team to hit at. But as of right now, what we've seen is that the numbers of even the the death rates is going to continue to go down because we're going to find out that way, 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 way more people than we've ever known had COVID-19 and didn't have any issues with it. Okay. So what this means is that everything is still stupid. You have your local municipalities that are just making up whatever things that happen. But the, the one point I guess I would make to you here is that elections have consequences. And that's one of the consequences. Most people are asleep at the wheel when it comes to their local elections. They're not paying attention to the school board. They're not paying attention to who the mayor is or who the, the sheriff is until something like this happens. And then all of a sudden, the people that are supposedly representing you are not doing things that you would like. So a lot of people are pissed off at their school boards right now because they're not letting their kids, their five, six, seven year olds actually go to school at school, right? As, as if they can be taught via a laptop, a little kid can be taught via a laptop. And a lot of these people are freaking out and they're going to the school boards and they're yelling and screaming, but the five people on the school board don't agree with them. You were asleep at the wheel. They basically got elected by, you know, 17 people that agreed with their ideology and, and they're scared and they're terrified and, and they're just going to lock the schools down. Well, guys, you can't be asleep at the wheel. We got elections coming up here in a few weeks. Got to pay attention. Next question here. The World Health Organization just came out with remarks against mass lockdowns due to the economic impact. Did you know about this? And if so, what do you think? uh, What did you think whenever you heard the news? So, yes, I did know about this. Uh, Amazing that this wasn't front page news across everywhere and all across Twitter and everything, but also not amazing because it doesn't fit the the narrative right now, which is that everything needs to be locked down forever because, you know, we got to save grandma or whatever the, the argument is today. But the World Health Organization, about seven months too late, is recognizing that if you shut down everything, that the amazing 
economic impact that it has, that the negative impact on, on people is absolutely staggeringly bad. And it took them that long to figure it out. They're like, wait a minute, these, these isolation deaths and depression deaths and suicides and, and, and the uptick in violence and the uptick in, in problems in the home and substance abuse and, and ODs. And man, it's almost like if you lock everything down and don't allow people to make money, it's like they don't have a purpose anymore and they just turn to the drink or they take it out on their wife and kids or whatever that, that ends up being. But I mean, duh, like, duh, like they're making the same argument that people like me and people that think the way that I do have been making for months and months and months now. And yet everything that they were doing prior to that announcement, prior to to coming out and making those comments was anti that message. So it's like you waited until the entire economy of the world basically is in the crapper before you're like, I wonder if this is going to have some ancillary consequences that we're not real fond of. Right? So yeah, I, I heard those remarks. It's not surprising to me. And again, guys, if Joe Biden's elected, Expect to hear a lot more stories like this. All of a sudden, the World Health Organization and all these great doctors are going to come out and say, oh, great, we found, uh, hey, by the way, hydroxychloroquine is a good thing to use. And, oh, you know, we can go ahead and lift these lockdowns. Now we've locked down quite enough. I think everyone will be safe. So, yeah, it's ridiculous, but it's all part of the political game. All right, next thing here. Okay, we got some uh, upcoming UFC fight predictions. So we got some interesting fights coming up in the UFC. So uh, fight night, October the 17th, that is actually this Saturday. We have Brian Ortega, T-City versus Chan Sung Jung, who is the Korean zombie. And so there is a lot of bad blood in this fight, which you wouldn't have thought. But, you know, I think Brian Ortega like smacked one of Korean zombies friends at a, at a UFC event. But here's the thing about this fight. My prediction is that Korean zombie is going to win and he's going to win easily. So that's my prediction for this one. Brian Ortega has not fought since he got demolished by Max Holloway. And Brian Ortega looked like a world beater on his way. You know, he knocked out Frankie Edgar, all those things. But Korean Zombie is a real dude. And he's no slouch on the ground. Of course, Brian Ortega is is an amazing jiu-jitsu practitioner. But that fight's going to stay on the feet, okay? And if it stays on the feet, Brian Ortega is going to get whooped. I think he's going to get beat up. I do, I do not see this being a close fight. It's going to be one of those fights where it's like, okay, Brian Ortega is going to take two really bad losses in a row. And then all of a sudden people are going to start talking about whether he should change divisions or whether he should really, you know, reconsider his training strategy, blah, blah, blah. But again, I don't, I don't see that fight being close. Now let's fast forward to UFC 254. So that's here in a few weeks. Uh, and then the main event of that is Habib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. So that is you know, basically Justin Gaethje's technically the interim champion because, you know, he beat up Tony Ferguson to win the interim belt. Uh, Habib wasn't able to do their last fight because of COVID restrictions. He was in Russia and then his father died. But here's the thing. And you're going to think I'm just being a hater on Habib by saying this. I think Justin Gaethje is going to win this fight. I don't think this is going to be an easy fight. I don't think he's going to, he's going to run roughshod over him, but there's something different about Justin Gaethje right now. He took those two really bad losses against Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez. And I say they were bad losses because he was winning both of those fights and then he got finished um, just because he, he got a little bit too wild. He's still wild now, but the way he's beating people is like controlled chaos right now. And he is knocking people dead. Knocked James Vick dead. Knocked Edson Barbosa dead. Just literally beat the living crap out of Tony Ferguson until the ref mercilessly, you know, mercifully actually, uh, just, you know, let him off the hook in the fifth round and, and finally called the fight. Um, but I think the story of this fight is going to be for Justin Gaethje is going to be leg kicks and takedown defense. Cause here's the thing. And I've said it before. Habib Nurmagomedov is not a great open air wrestler. He's not a great put us in a circle with a singlet and shoes on and ready go wrestler. He's an amazing, he's maybe the best wrestler on the planet up against the wall or up against the cage, right? 
If he gets you up against the cage, he's going to take you down. There's just no no two ways about it. But remember the the fight against Conor McGregor, he shot a takedown in the middle of the octagon, and it took him a really, really long time to finish the takedown. He finished the takedown, but Conor McGregor, who is not a, an amazing grappler, doesn't have a wrestling pedigree, he was able to basically stuff the takedown for a significant period of time. Justin Gaethje does have the wrestling pedigree. He does have the credentials there. So I don't think Habib's just going to be able to take Justin Gaethje down at will, like he has to basically everyone he's fought up to this point. Um, but the other thing with Justin Gaethje is he throws some of the most vicious leg kicks that I've ever seen, like in any division. His leg kicks are immediate, constant, and absolutely brutal. And here's the thing about his leg kicks, is if he's kicking to the thigh or to the body, that, that is an issue because Habib is going to catch that and probably take him down. But he's signaling from the very beginning to Habib, that he's going to do the low calf kick, right? Basically drive his shin directly into the meat of the outer calf. And that's what he's going to do to Habib. And it doesn't matter how tough you are or how skilled you are. If you take a lot of those in a fight, you're not going to have a whole lot of spring. Your, your striking is not going to be as good. You're not going to have a whole lot of spring with your takedowns. And so that's why I think Justin Gaethje is going to win. I think he's going to control the octagon. He's not going to be easy to take down. Uh, and those leg kicks are going to be brutal. And he has this uh, lead left hook, which is absolutely brutal as well. Habib is hittable. Dustin Poirier hurt him. Uh, Connor hit him a few times in that third round of their fight. But that's the thing is Habib is a real dude. He's what, 27 and 0. And, you know, like the first 20 of those were against like, you know, Russian tomato cans. But he is a legit fighter. He's a legit dude. And guess what? I'll go ahead and say this about that fight. If Habib goes in there and ragdolls Justin Gaethje, you automatically have to start talking about him in terms of GOAT status. That, that's how easily I could flip my opinion on Habib. Even though the, the first part of his career, he basically was fighting people that didn't even uh, deserve to get an MMA license. If he beats Justin Gaethje in the same kind of 10-8 for five rounds thing that we've seen him do to a lot of other people, then, then we really got to start thinking about that discussion. The, net, the other fight on that uh, fight card I'll just talk briefly about is Robert Whitaker, former 185 champion versus Jared Cannonier. The reason why this one is important is because Israel Adesanya, who is the champion at that weight division, has already signaled that if Jared Cannonier wins that, that he wants to fight him next because uh, Israel Adesanya has already knocked out Robert Whitaker. But uh, technically, this is a uh, number one contender fight. Whoever wins this fight will likely fight Israel Adesanya next. So uh, in terms of who's going to win that fight, um, it's really, really hard for me to pick against Robert Whitaker just because seeing what he's been able to do in a lot of these fights and the comeback he's been able to make. Jared Cannonier is a real dude. It's a toss-up for me, but I'll go with Robert Whitaker. Then we've got fight night on November 7th, uh, Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira. This is another interesting fight because Jan Blakovich, or <laughs> it's kind of hard to say, we'll just say Jan, the new 205 champion. Uh, this is likely, uh, his next opponent is likely going to come out of this fight. Uh, Tiago Santos, uh, in my opinion, beat John Jones in his last fight. He beat, beat him on one leg. This is going to be his first fight since his knee surgery. Glover Teixeira has had a late uh, resurgence in his career, you know, late in his, uh, you know, when you think he would be riding off in the sunset, he's actually making a run towards another title. Um, it's kind of hard to know how Tiago Santos is going to respond because he had major knee surgery and this is his first fight back, but he is more skilled than Glover Teixeira. Um, so that's another tough fight for me to call, but I think I would go with Santos on this one. Uh, it looks like I've got some bonus questions here. Oh, okay. So we're going to look at rumored fights now. So there's some rumored fights now that, that could be interesting. Uh, there's talk about Conor McGregor fighting Dustin Poirier. This would be a rematch. I think they fought like six, seven years ago. Um, they were originally trying to do this as like a charity event or something, but then the UFC offered them the fight, but they offered them the fight for January. But Conor's like, no, I want the fight in either November or December. He's kind of pissed that he hasn't fought again this year. 
Um, in terms of that fight happening, yes, it's an interesting fight. Uh, Dustin Poirier is a much improved fighter than back then. They fought at 145. This fight would be at 155. Uh, but the thing about it is, is uh, this wouldn't have the crowd in there. It looks like Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier have a deep and combined respect for one another, whereas with the first fight, there was a lot of trash talking back and forth. And so I don't think Conor's going to have that that trash talking advantage because I don't really think there's going to be any of that here. Uh, Dustin Poirier gets hit a lot, though. I mean, even if his fight uh, recently with Dan Hooker, his fights with Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje, he gets hit a lot. And when Conor McGregor hits people, especially with his straight left, I mean, they just, they go dead. And so, uh, that's an interesting fight. You know, I'll, I'll reserve judgment on who I would pick for that fight, uh, until a later date, because there's still a lot of things that need to be crossed off before then. Another rumored fight is Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal. I love that this fight is being rumored. Because the previous rumor was that Jorge Masvidal was going to be fighting Nate Diaz for the BMF title again. That stupid, stupid, stupid fake belt. And guess what, guys? We watched that fight. And Jorge was murdering Nate for the first three rounds before he got, you know, basically saved by by the judge, right? In the BMF title fight, they, they have to stop it because of a cut. But these people that are like, oh, no, you know, Nate was about to turn the tide and he was going to do what? What? He was going to finish Jorge Masvidal in the last two rounds of that fight? Get out of here. That fight was super one-sided. Nobody wants to see that again. The BMF belt is not a real thing. But here's the other thing with Colby Covington. It's either Kamaru Usman for him next or Jorge Masvidal. No one wants to watch him fight anyone else, or it might be Gilbert Burns if he wins a title, but no one wants to watch him fight anybody else. There are people that think he should fight Leon Edwards. Why would Colby Covington fight Leon Edwards? That makes no sense at all. That is only a positive for Leon Edwards, potentially. So this is a great fight. These are guys that train together for a very, very long time. They're both Trump supporters, which is interesting. Uh, Jorge Masvidal had some very positive things to say about Trump here recently. Been a long-time Trump fan, uh, Jorge Masvidal is. But to be honest with you, this fight is going to go the exact same way the Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal fight went. It's going to be a five-round shellacking with, with one guy swinging the hammer, and that's going to be Colby Covington. So if that fight does come to fruition, it'll be a big fight, but I don't think it'll be a close fight. Uh, and then the last one, uh, uh, will Israel Adesanya get a fight against John Jones? So that's the thing is these guys are going back and forth on Twitter all the time and you know kind of ramping up the, the rhetoric against one another. But guys, I don't, I just can't see this fight happening soon. You know, Israel Adesanya is a small 185er. John Jones, you know, just gave up the 205 belt to go fight at heavyweight. And so, you know, is this fight going to happen at 205? Like, is it going to happen at a catchweight? Because, you know, Adesanya might walk around at like 210, 215. So he's not cutting a bunch to get to 205. John Jones walks around at 225, 230. So it's going to be more of a cut for him to get down there. Uh, And to be honest with you, I don't feel like it's going to be a very close fight. Like, like at all, if John Jones can take down Daniel Cormier, an Olympic wrestler, you're telling me that he can't take down Israel Adesanya, a striker. Yeah. I, I just don't see that fight being close, but it's going to continue to be rumored. And that's going to always be the, the fight that's out there in the ether that may never happen. All right. Next question here. The next big movement in America is to be socially liberal and fiscally conservative as a Christian does agreeing with this compromise, uh, does agreeing with this compromise my faith if I agree to lean towards more socially liberal policies? Well, yeah. Well, of course it would. Because I've heard that too. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm socially liberal. I'm liberal on social issues, but oh, I'm fiscally conservative. So it's, you know, whatever that means. And they probably can't even elucidate it much further than just saying that initial sentence. But I think it does compromise your faith because most social issues are informed by faith. Like most of them. And so if you're sitting there saying that, Oh, well, I'm going to be uh, conservative on fiscal policy because I don't want Uncle Sam dipping into my pocketbooks any more than normal. But you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay with gay marriage. 
you know, I'm okay with abortion up until the moment of birth, or I'm okay with, you know, open borders, immigration policy, you know, whatever the more liberal social policies are. I don't see how that connects to a Judeo-Christian faith, especially with the issue of abortion, right? Yeah, these people that are like, oh, I'm Catholic. I'm also pro-abortion. Sorry, you can't do that. So it's kind of like these things. It's like if you, if you're in a club and that club has standards in order for you to remain in the club, if you don't live by those standards or meet those standards, you're no longer in the club. And so if you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm not down with that whole Trinity thing though. And I don't believe Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third day. Well, okay, that's fine. You're just not a Christian though. Like you can't say that. Like you can't say, oh, you know, I'm vegan, but gosh, I I eat steak every night for dinner. Gosh, it's just so good. That, see, it doesn't really work that way. You can't really consider yourself part of that club. And so, yes, I think that would be compromising your face or your, your faith leaning more towards more liberal policies, especially because most of these liberal policies are being pushed in culture. And if you are basing your opinions based on what the culture says, that's a problem. Because just think about Hollywood entertainment and the opinions of Hollywoodites and those types of folks. It doesn't really align with the Christian worldview ever or at all. And so if you're being fiscally conservative because you want more of your money, but then you just want things to be kind of open, that also says something about your inner morality. And people don't like to talk about that, especially since, you know, a Burgerfeld brought in gay marriage. And so we can't really talk about gay marriage anymore. And, you know, it's crazy for someone to say that two men getting married isn't actually a marriage. Like, because marriage is between one man and one woman. Why? Because God told us so. So those are those things that if you continue to compromise on social issues, you are at the same time compromising your faith. All right, next question here. You can have dinner, drinks, and a cigar with four other living people. Okay, uh, who are you picking? Oh, man, y'all got some, some brain busters today. Okay, so you can have drinks, dinner, drinks, and cigar with four other living people. Okay, so living people. Well. I guess there's a few ways you can take that question. Um, because are these just four people that you like? Do these four people know each other? Uh, you know, cause that could be weird if you have four people that you just like, but you know, one's like a professor and one's like a, you know, a wizard and another guy's like a sports guy. Like that might be kind of weird to, to have dinner together uh, or it might be cool. Um, hmm. Four people. Oh, okay. You know what? I'll just go with four people that I'm constantly listening to people that are constantly in my ear that I would just like to speak in person. So I would say Jordan Peterson, uh, Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro and Jocko Willink. So Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, Jocko Willink. Those would be my four. Um, now all those guys do know each other. I I think they're kind of commonalities that they've all been on the Joe Rogan experience. I think Joe you know, both of them have done Ben Shapiro's show. I, I, anyway, I think, anyway, they're all connected kind of in some way, but wouldn't that be an awesome dinner? I mean, you got maybe the biggest comedian and podcaster on the planet. You got one of the leading intellectuals on the pa- planet. You've got, you know, basically the, the movement, the new, the, the guy of the new conservative movement. You've got, uh, you know, a former Navy SEAL and best-selling author. I mean, that would be a great night of dinner, drinks, and a cigar. Right. I don't know that all of them would partake in all three of those things, but yeah, I, I guess if I, if I was going to do a dinner, that would be the most important uh, and most interesting dinner that I could probably put together. So those four next question here, how do you, how do Christian men unify efforts to deal with inequities that exist in society while at the same time mitigating the effects caused by the extremists that exist on both sides of these dissenting topics? So IE race issues, etc. Okay. That's, that's kind of a big one there. 
Um, how do Christian men unify efforts to deal with inequities? Um, so I guess the first question I would ask the, the person asking this question is, you know, what do you mean by inequities? Um, and what, what do you mean? Like in terms of Christian men unifying efforts? So like Christian men are, are being tasked to do something because everything in life is about inequity, but it's something that you can't, equality is not something that you can guarantee when it comes to outcome. Okay. So since I picked on LeBron a little bit earlier in this podcast, guess what? There's a tremendous inequity between LeBron James and I, like regardless of our, our skin color or anything like that, he's six foot eight, 250 pounds. He's an incredibly gifted athlete. He's worth half a billion dollars. Yeah. He's got four championship rings, sort of, you know what I mean? Like I don't have any of those things. I've dunked a tennis ball before, never a basketball. There, there's some inequities there, right? So I think the first thing I would want to get on, get on the line is here is like, what do you mean by inequity? Because again, if, if you're talking about equality of outcome, I can't unify any efforts behind that because I can't affect what cards people were dealt from the very beginning, where they were born, what their parents were, how much money they had, what their race is, how tall they are, like whether they have an attractive nose or a skinny butt. Like I, I can't control any of those things. And so I can't control for outcome. But for a lot of these people, I guess if I were going to unify anybody behind a message, you know, as a group of Christian men, it would be unifying them behind the message that you can affect your outcomes. Now, I cannot sit in a room and concentrate with all my might and, and think as hard as possible and make myself taller. You know, I, I can't do that. I, I can't sit there and be like, okay, I'm just going to sit in this room and I'm just going to concentrate until I have 20 inch biceps. Like those things can't happen. Right now with the 20 inch bicep thing, there are some things that you can work towards that. But the main point that I'm making is that at the end of the day, you can control your actions. You can't control the cards that you were dealt. You can't control anything else that happens in your life outside of you. You can only control your decisions. You can't control other people. You can't control society. You can't control culture. And so what I would say for, for some of these people is, you know, don't really listen to the extremist voice voices on, on either of these sides, unless they're right. So there are, there are voices specifically, you brought up the race issue here with this question. There are people that are on the right, the political right, that are considered extreme in their opinions, but what they're saying is correct about some of these issues. It's considered extreme to say that George Floyd is in some way responsible for his own death that day. And when I said that back on, I think on, you know, the first race in America podcast, we didn't even know about the fentanyl in this system at that time. And so there is a pretty dang good chance that he died from a fentanyl overdose, not, not from asphyxiation from the knee of the officer or the shin of the officer. And I'm still not taking Derek Chauvin, you know, you know, I, I, he definitely did wrong that day. He 100% did wrong that day, but it's considered extreme to say George Floyd is in some way responsible for his own death that day. And so don't really listen to the extreme voices unless they're obviously speaking truth. Uh, Don't let anyone else tell you someone's being extreme. You go and look, look for it for yourself. I think that's important. But in terms of us unifying, it's better for us to unify behind a message, uh, that message being the gospel. Like, hey, there might be inequities in this life. Uh, there might be uh, injustices that are done, like real injustices that are perpetrated on people. But at the end of the day, it's up to the things that you do. The gospel covers everybody and everything. And so you either believe that or you don't. Next question here. Any guesses on the next continued shift of the Overton window? 
Okay, so things that uh, might be inside the Overton window at time. But guys, go back if you're if you're not familiar with the Overton window. I have an entire episode uh, of it. I can't remember which one it was, but I kind of go into the detail there. But it's basically the things that are acceptable in modern discourse. Like you know, a hundred years ago, gay marriage wasn't considered inside the Overton window, but it's right smack dab in the middle of it now. You know, blah blah blah. Um, I think I've probably said this before in terms of the next shift. And I talked about this on the Normalizing Pedophilia podcast here recently with the Cuties documentary and the new law in California. I think it's going to be pedophilia. Because again, the argument is if a five-year-old can choose their gender, then why can't they choose their sexual partner? That's not that crazy of a statement. Because if you're saying they have the autonomy to make the decision about their genitalia, whether they want them to be an innie or an outie, why couldn't you say they could have a consensual sexual relationship with someone that is considered to be an adult by law? Why can't an 11-year-old date a 20-year-old? Like, why not? So I really feel that that's going to be a shift, that that's going to become more of the conversation. Because again, I mean, the the change in culture and the change on a lot of these big issues has been super fast. I mean, again, seven years ago, 10 years ago, if you would have said that a kid can choose their gender, it'd be like, dude, you're a moron. They'd, they'd put you in a, you know, in a you know, mental facility. But now it's like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I would say that's coming next. Um, and then probably polyamory, you know, multiple wives, that type of situation. All the Mormons are going to be super jacked about that. But I think that's going to kind of be the next thing. Like, oh, well, hey, I have two dads. Are they gay? No, no, no. My mom just sleeps with both of them. Oh, okay. So like all three of you come to the baseball game? Yeah, yeah, that's what we do. So I think that's going to become more normalized. Um, you know, I'm not going to get crazy and say bestiality is going to start to be in the, in the Overton window, but I, I swear nothing would surprise me anymore. But probably pedophilia is the number one thing that we'll see. Next one here. Wrestling season is upon us. Uh, as a new dad, how excited are you to get to experience a life you made compete in a physical combat sport in a few short years? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I really hope that uh, baby James uh, does wrestling. Um, you know, Hardell Moore has been on this podcast before. He's a, you know, national runner up in uh, collegiate wrestling. He runs one of the best private wrestling clubs in the country. And so he lives about a couple hundred feet away from me. So I think that's going to be awesome if James can learn wrestling under his tutelage. I don't think there's any tougher athlete on the planet than a wrestler. Uh, you just don't get that same toughness playing baseball or playing, you know, cricket or something like that. You, you basically get that from playing, uh, or participating in wrestling. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely excited to watch him do that. Um, you know, it's kind of hard for me right now to think about how I'll respond to him losing and, you know, if he gets hurt doing something like that, because you just don't know what your emotions are going to be until that moment comes. Uh, I have told you before on this podcast that I'm not going to be the wrestling dad or the baseball dad, the guy's freaking out at the duel or at the tournament or something like that. I'm going to be the guy that lets the coach coach. Because if the coach is coaching, he either has more time than I do to coach or he knows more than I do or both. And so I'm just going to let the coach coach. Now, if I want to do some pointers when the kid gets home or something like that, as long as I'm not, you know, demeaning the coach, I think that's acceptable as well. But, you know, I'm not really concerned about the fact that it's, you know, physical combat sport. I think everyone, there's a lot of people on this podcast that have never thrown a punch at somebody, never been punched. Um, and that's not good for you. You should know that if you get punched or punch somebody that people don't just disappear into the ether, you will survive, you will make it. Uh, but at the same time, you have to be good at being violent. Because there are going to be times when you need to be a sheepdog and you need to be violent. And that's not the time to train because the time is upon you. It's been thrust upon you. And if you're not ready for that moment, you're screwed. And the people around you are screwed unless you get lucky. 
So I'm excited to watch that, you know, to watch a little kid, you know, start to wrestle and figure out his body and do those different things. And I'll, I'll get him into jujitsu as well. Uh, one thing about our house, my wife and I have decided that even if the kid is not into sports, he will play sports, right? That's just kind of the deal. There's so much value you get from sports, you know, regardless of if you end up getting a scholarship or become a professional at that sport, you know, those things are incredibly rare, but just having those valuable lessons growing up is amazing. I think it'll be cool to see uh, a kid compete in a team sport like baseball or basketball or something like that. And then also compete in an individual sport like jujitsu or wrestling. You know, it's an individualized team sport. So I think that'll be fun to watch. All right, next question here. We've got a few left. Everyone I talk to is sick of Fox News, CNN, and everything in between. Uh, where can I go for real unbiased opinions and news? Um, well, I guess the easiest way to answer this is there's nowhere where you can go for an unbiased opinion. You always hear these people say like, oh, this is a uh, non-party driven think tank, or this is a neutral think tank, or this is a non-partisan think tank and all. It's like, dude, no, everyone's partisan, at least in some way. There's no one that's right down the middle. And you have these independents that are like, they wear that like a badge of honor, like I'm an independent. It's like, oh, well, pick a side, loser. It's like, what are you talking about? You're an independent. You're, of course, you're not an independent. It kind of goes back to the question earlier about like, oh, I'm fiscally conservative, but I'm socially liberal. It's like, well, what does that mean? You're, you're a man without a country at that point. Um, but I have said before, there are, I feel like more left-wing sources don't try to be centrist, but there are right-wing sor- sources that at least try to be more centrist. So a lot of the ones that I trust that I obviously know that when they're editorializing, it's coming from a conservative point of view, but whenever they're just giving me the news or kind of given the news, you know, I, I really do like, um, town hall. I like the daily wire. I like the blaze. Um, you know, I, I've heard some people say good things about the Bongino report with Dan Bongino. I don't really know anything much about that, but really at the, at the end of the day, guys, like, so I listen to the Ben Shapiro podcast every day. Um, and I've listened to that show since before the 2016 election. So I've been listening to him for a long time. And the thing about it is, is I don't dis I don't agree with him on everything. There are a lot of things I disagree with him on and a lot of his opinions that he's been wrong about, but you know, he's the type of guy that calls balls and strikes when it comes to the things that he sees. And he, he kind of lets you know when he's editorializing from a conservative point of view and he's unapologetic about that. So I would look for people like that, that whether they're left wing or right wing or something like that, if they're going to be fair, because you got somebody like Dan Carlin, he's got the hardcore, hardcore history podcast, but he also has another podcast. I think it's called common sense or uh, it's something like that. But he did a podcast here recently where he was basically saying that Donald Trump was a, a fascist dictator. And if he's elected again, then that's the end of the Republic. And, you know, it, it was just kind of this big, crazy thing. Again, he didn't give any evidence for his point of view. He was just spouting it. And so if you get someone that seems like they're in the quote unquote news and they're a quote unquote journalist, but it seems like they're editorializing or propagandizing all the time. I would probably stay away from those. Again, when I watch Fox News during the day, that's news. They're just reporting the news. But if I watch Sean Hannity, which I don't, or if I watch, you know, gosh, what are are the people on the other? uh, Anderson Cooper, which I don't. Like, if I'm watching those shows, you know it's about editorializing. It's not about the news. So just stop watching opinion shows thinking you're getting news. So that would probably be the thing that I would tell you to do. Try to find some straight news people. Like Brett Baer over at Fox News, he's a straight news guy. Uh, Jake Tapper over at CNN, you know, he's, he's a lot of times more of a straight news guy as opposed to a partisan. So I would just look out for those couple of questions here. Next one. What are the chances of Trump being reelected pre COVID versus, or what were the chances of Trump being, uh, reelected pre COVID versus right now? Um, yeah, I feel like this one's pretty easy pre COVID we're at an all time high for, for the stock market people, you know, consumer confidence was high wages were going up. Everything was seemingly great. And then we have COVID, we had the lockdowns, we had the effect on the the economy, we have, you know, the Trump 
the Trump side's uh, kind of use or not use, but a lot of people think they bungled the COVID-19 thing, but then you realize that pretty much everyone, maybe except Sweden, bungled the COVID-19 thing. Um, yeah, I think the chances of him being reelected pre-COVID were incredibly high, uh, especially because if you guys remember pre-COVID, do you remember who was the, the odds-on favorite to win the Democratic ticket? Bernie Sanders. That old socialist communist loon bag was the front runner. Joe Biden was somewhere way off. Kamala Harris had already come out of the race. It was going to be Bernie Sanders and Republicans all over the country were chomping at the bit because if Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee, not only were they going to lose the white house, they were going to, you know, the Republicans were, were going to build a higher majority in the Senate. There was a chance Republicans would get the house back. They were going to lose governorships. Democrats are going to lose governor's races and gubernatorial races. Like they were going to get shellacked. And then we fast forward a few months. COVID's a thing. Joe Biden's the guy. And, you know, Donald Trump does his normal thing. Uh, I would say right now, the chances of Donald Trump being reelected are not great. And it's just, you just read the tea leaves a little bit. Like there was uh, a little bit like, you know, you had the first debate, you know, it looked like the, the polling nationally and in swing states was getting closer before that first debate. But Donald Trump did so poorly in that first debate. I mean, so did Joe Biden. It wasn't really a debate. But Donald Trump came off looking so bad that there's been a, a, a widening of the gap between him and Biden um, since that first debate. And it looks like there's not going to be subsequent debates because Donald Trump got COVID-19 and, you know, Joe, Joe Biden doesn't really see any need uh, to do these debates anymore. He's just going to sit in his basement and cross his fingers. But I think the chances before COVID were really high. And I think the chances right now are really low. It's not zero, but I mean... The thing about pollsters, and I talked to a lot of Trump people, and I talked to a guy that actually works for the Trump campaign last week, we had lunch, and he was like, you know, Kyle, you just, you can't look at the polls, and, you know, I, sh- I should have wrote myself a letter. Uh, I promised I was going to do it, you know, like six months before the election, to, to open it up, you know, a week or two before the election, and on that piece of paper, it would be written, don't believe all the people that say Trump's going to lose, he's going to win. And it's like, it's all these anecdotal and kind of like metaphorical stories about how, you know, all the polls are going to be wrong and, you know, the silent majority and, you know, people will stand up for their rights and he'll lose the, you know, popular vote, but win the electoral college. But none of these people are giving reasons for why they're saying these things. They're just saying it. And they're not saying why Donald Trump's going to win Florida and Ohio and maybe Michigan and Pennsylvania and Arizona and Wisconsin and Iowa, they're not saying why he's going to win these states. They're just saying they got a good feeling about it. Well, well, guys, the thing about it is most of the pollsters, almost all the pollsters were wrong in 2016. If they're that wrong again in 2020, then no one's going to believe them. Because if, if, if the weatherman constantly tells you it's going to rain outside and every day you go to work with your umbrella and your rain jacket and your rain boots and all that, and it's sunny in 75, you're going to stop tuning into that newscast, right? The guy is, is putting a whole lot of pressure on your life that doesn't need to be there. So yeah, again, at this point, can all the polls be this wrong? Because I don't care about the national polling that Joe Biden's up, you know, double digits nationally. Who cares? It's an electoral college that we have to worry about. But he's down or even in every swing state. And he's even within spitting distance in Texas. Joe Biden is of Donald Trump. So if Donald Trump is down in all these swing states, is it possible he wins them? Yeah. But if all of the polling is wrong from all these companies, I just can't see how that's possible. 
Um, you know, the senatorial races are a little bit looser right now. I think uh, Republicans have a pretty good shot of keeping the Senate, which would be great because if Joe Biden is in the White House and the Democrats have the House, which they will continue to have the House after this November election, you got to have some sort of a check in the, the judicial or in the, the legislative body. And that's got to be from the Senate. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm I'm not terribly happy about that just because I'm I'm actually terrified of if what happens to the country if Joe Biden uh, is elected president and the Democrats take control of the Senate. Obviously, they've talked about how they are wanting to get rid of the filibuster, add multiple states, you know, Puerto Rico, Washington D.C., maybe even Guam to have a super majority or at least a a much higher majority in the House and in the Senate. Um, yeah, it's kind of terrifying packing the court, packing the Supreme Court. Like we're going to get into that a whole lot later, but yeah. Chances were good before, not as great now. Next question here, last question of the day, actually. Who will you be voting for for president on November 3rd? Uh, so here's the thing. I'm not going to give you the answer now, um, but I will give you my answer. I'm still formulating my answer to that question. And just so you know, the Thursday before the election, I'm going to be releasing uh, probably a couple of episodes, and it's going to be breaking down the decision of 2020 between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And so if you want to hear, my answer to who I will be voting for, because there's three options technically in, in my state. Anyway, there's voting for Donald Trump. There's voting for Joe Biden and there's not voting for president at all. We don't have a third party candidate. I don't even know if there's a libertarian uh, candidate or a ticket, uh, but you know, most of those guys can't even find their, their own city on a map. So you can't really trust those dopes, but I will be giving you a full rundown of, of the decision that I've made in terms of how I will operate this coming November. All right, guys, thanks so much for those questions. I really do appreciate you sending them my way. Again, hit me up on Instagram or via email if you want to have your questions answered on the show. Before we let you guys go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So a little resource I got for you today, I have an article from townhall.com, and this is an article by Jack Carr. So if you're familiar with Jack Carr, he's got the uh, James Reese novels. So that's The Terminal List, True Believer, and Savage Son. It's former Navy SEAL, great, great books. I just finished uh, listening to all three of those here recently, but it's called Our Obligation to Fight. So uh, kind of goes into some stuff I was even talking about earlier about we all should have a mandate to be able to learn how to protect ourselves and those around us. So it's a great article. I think you guys would dig it. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the rest of 2020 and the beginning part of 2021. So if you want to come speak at your team, at your men's event, whatever, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. The email is info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the Uversion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, Keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.